for decades at least, we thought resilience was just like a character trait. It was like your, your singing voice. You were a good singer or you're a bad singer. And that was kind of it. And then they were like, oh no, you could take voice lessons. And it turns out you could make your voice a little bit better. Well, with resilience, it's not a character trait. It's not fixed like your eye color or you know your innate musicality. It turns out that resilience is this thing that everybody has a little or a lot of as little kids. And then circumstances and skills change it over time. Fantastic. It's John Beethan with What Has My Attention. And I am really happy. Everybody says I'm really excited, but Dr. G is joining me with Patty Chiano. And I've asked them both to come on because Dr. G and I met each other when I asked Patty Block for some fabulous women that I could actually bring on the show. So I want to welcome you both. And and um, as I usually do, I'm going to let you carry the show because my, the whole idea here is to really elevate women's voices to be heard, and especially women in strong leadership. And that would be you both. <laughs> you got that? Thank you so much for having us. I really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. So I want to make sure one thing that's covered is resilience and stress. Other than that... Oh, got that covered. I don't know. I mean, only... <laughs> Only a couple of people in the world experience stress. So are you sure it's applicable to the most of you? Yeah, audience? maybe we don't need to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. So you were kind enough to ask me to think of a strong woman leader that I wanted to invite to join me on the show. And I immediately thought of you, Patty, because I have been lucky enough to work with Patty because in the way that I worked with her, she's had many roles, many amazing roles, but she was the executive producer of a show called The Doctors on TV. And I first met Patty in the way that you do, somebody knew somebody knew somebody and she agreed to meet me really on spec. And I, one of the things that I have noticed about women leaders is they learn to be really intentional about their yeses and their noes. So I hope that we will talk about sort of your process, not necessarily about that meeting in particular, Patty, because it was years ago, but in general, what you do when you're trying to decide when's a good time to set a boundary and when's a good time to open to possibilities. But will you introduce yourself first? Because I couldn't do you justice. Sure. I'm Patty Chiano. I was executive producer of The Doctors for about 10 seasons. Um, I've been in the daytime television world for 25 years. I start my first executive producer role it was 2006, The Morning Show with Mike and Juliet, and it's been off to the races since. So it's been a, a wonderful, blessed career. And thank you so much for having me. And thanks for inviting me, Dr. G. Absolutely. My name is Deborah Gilboa. I'm a family doctor, I'm like a regular family doc, like you'd go to if your kid was sick or you needed your driver's license physical filled out. I'm at a federally qualified health center in Pennsylvania. So I see folks who are primarily immigrants and refugees, but really folks from every part of our community. And I'm also an expert in resilience and change navigation. At the beginning of the work that I did about that, I really focused on youth. I focused on what are we doing to teach kids to be more resilient and help them grow up to be the best people they can be, partially because I was at the time right in the trenches with my four boys who are now getting towards being men. They're 14 up to 20, but at the time they were pretty little and, and my every waking moment was about you know feeding them and raising them. And in the last five or six years, it's become clear to me we need more strategies as adults before we can really bring that to the kids in our lives, which I still think is a really admirable goal. We need to be able to do this a little bit better. I had this experience in medical school and med school, and, and Patty's worked with so many doctors in her career, but med school, you've probably heard this phrase, Patty, it's like trying to drink from a fire hose. 
Yes. <laughs> right. So, or um, a classmate of mine said, it's like standing in the median of a highway as cars are going by at full speed, trying to memorize all their license plate numbers. You just catch what you can. It's just going past and you just catch what you can. And so when I was in med school, one of the things that our professors were saying, and this is the late nineties, they were saying, stress is the new smoking. Tell your patients to avoid it at all costs. Well, good and, luck. Right. <laughs> But I didn't think about that statement critically at all at first. I just wrote it down, right? It just went, it was just another avoid license. Stress, right. Avoid stress, avoid stress. Right, avoid stress, like new smoking, new smoking, bad, okay. And then at the end of every class, there would be announcements. Uh, hey, students, make sure you're leading at least one group, and one, one extracurricular group, and make sure you're involved in three research projects. And also right. don't forget to exercise. And what are you doing for your own artistic development? Like, and I thought, are they trying to kill us? Because they just kept piling on the stress. They and, are shoving a pack of cigarettes in your mouth is what they're doing. Right. And so maybe I thought like, maybe they just don't want the competition when we graduate. So they're just like, die now. But, <laughs> but really, I started to notice this dichotomy that it wasn't that stress itself killed everybody. It's that some people seemed less winded by it than other people. Not to say that they couldn't, you know, suffer grief or loss or have major things happen, but in general, there were people who seemed to like their life despite it being stressful and people who did not like their life, even when stress got relieved a little bit. And so I, I wondered where it really was. And that drove a lot of the research that I've now done and this mm -hmm. real, like, it's, it's not just a passion. It's like a, a, my burning question. My burning question is, how can we get the life we want and actually also enjoy it? And so that's the approach that I come at change and stress from. <laughs> you know, when I asked you, you know, what you wanted to talk about, you said helping others navigate change, the title of this episode. So as I said in the beginning, um, I'll be here, but um, putting you both front center stage. I mean, I think change, I think it's very important for change to be, you know, how to how like change yourself on how you handle your stress. When I was younger, you know, this is a very stressful industry. It is, you know, and, and I've I heard that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was a very young executive producer. My first show, I was, it, I felt the physical effects of it. I felt my stomach. I felt the, my heart racing. And I, and I was just like, well, it's stress. And, it's stress. and it was almost like I was celebrating my stress and reveling. And I'm so stressed. Like it was a badge of honor. And <laughs> as I have matured and, and grown, especially as a leader, I've learned how to help in a very healthy way deal with stress and use it to my advantage. Um, yeah. it, instead of it being something that's killing me, it's something that's motivating me. And instead of, I think when I was younger, I would go to escapism. I would probably, I smoked, I drank, I did, you know, I didn't, I ate whatever I want. And it was, a, and that's how I coped with my stress. And it wasn't coping with it. It wasn't dealing with it. It was basically just muffling it and, and, and all of that. And then I had this epiphany when I had my daughter, I was like, my life is not getting less stressful. <laughs> it's getting more stressful. Of I did this thing that I really wanted to do, and it's also terribly stressful. Yeah. So I'm like, I, I remember my daughter was born. I was launching a new show. We were moving from Chicago. She was three months old. We were moving from Chicago to New York. We, you know, so it was like every every life change you could possibly have at one time, and it was a very. And then I just was like, you know what? What do you have to focus on today? And I, that's how I looked at it. And that's how it got me through because moving new job and new baby are your three biggest stressors. And 
it was, it would, it would, it would be overwhelming. And once I started to break it down, it's like, okay, what's today? I'm not worrying about what's happening in a week because that's not happened yet. And I, and, and, to, and I decompartmentalize all of that. That's how I would always get through the major stress. Um, and then the daily stresses of life, I really turn to health. I work out every day. I haven't had a sip of alcohol in years. And, and I started taking care of myself. And I never did that before. And I think that being a leader and dealing with stress, if you don't take care of yourself and as a mother, no one else is going to be okay. And then you have all these people looking at you and you're falling apart and you're supposed to be the leader of them. And it's, um, you know, so it, it gave me a lot of strength and made me, um, people, I almost like revel in stress. I, I revel in chaos. It's, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt me anymore. Does that make sense? It does. And you just pointed out something really important because Patty, I hear from my patients and women all the time, they'll say, Oh, well, I would exercise. You know, I, I know I should, that's what they, they don't say what I should, oh. I should exercise. I should do this in this, take care of myself, but I'm too busy taking care of my job, my kids, the, all my I family, like, I don't have time to go to the parents. But you just pointed you out the flip meeting, side of that argument. Meeting, like all of your other meetings and you make it a meeting. I, I have to be at this meeting at nine o'clock. Well, I have to be at this meeting at 7.30 a.m. I have to be, you know, and it's just, you have to, you have to, you have to take care of yourself because if you don't, you're not going to last. You're not going to be able to handle it. And half the argument party. is you have to be here to do all that stuff, to take care of your parents, your kids, your work, your mission in life. Mm -hmm. But the other half of the argument is something you just pointed out, which is you're always teaching. People are always watching you as a mentor, even if they Model never tell you that they're, that you're their mentor. Now you very clearly on your team had a lot of producers that were looking to you and you, you knew they were watching you and, and. Oh, a hundred percent. Like if I'm falling hey. apart, how could I look at them and be like, Hey, tell you. it was, and they, by example, like, how do I advance in this industry? How do I do my job? Well, that person is where I would like to be someday. So I'll just do it just like her. So if you do it, if your way is to drink and smoke and never make any time to take care of yourself, they'll think that's the way to get there. That's, right? they'll and think that's, that's the way I grew up in this business because yeah. when I was younger, everyone drank everyone. I mean, it was, it was work hard, play hard mentality always. And it was pushed to them. And it was my bosses. I mean, it was everybody. So that's to me, I was like, well, this is just how, how you do it. And it was, that's what I was taught until I was like, I don't feel good. I've got now and I've you got didn't, this baby. You're right. You used that I, I, advantage of saying, definitely my daughter's going to look at how I live my life to figure out how to live uh, hers. So I don't want her to live this way. Yeah. And I, and so remembering that you're always teaching, whether it's your kids or your employees or your colleagues or your clients or your customers, if there's anything admirable about you, everybody's trying to figure out how to do what they want to do. So they're looking around for clues all the time on TV shows that they watch and in books that they read and in people that they know. Yeah. So I mean, my, you, my proudest thing is making the producers take time for themselves, uh, you know, because they, they yeah. see me and they're, they're, I lost weight. I did this. And they were like, what are you doing? And I would tell them, and I was like, you, you have to do it. No one gets a gold star from working 20 hours a day. It just means you're not handling your business. You it's, have to be able to handle and, and schedule and, and figure it out and take care of you first. And that to me is the key to everything. It's probably not only the entertainment industry where people have this, um, they champion martyrdom. They champion, oh they goodness. brag oh. about, oh, I have, you know, I slept three hours two weeks oh. ago and yeah. <laughs> it happens in medicine for sure. Days. I mean, I mean, and we did wear like a badge of honor and I made a very conscious choice, especially at the doctors was. I don't think it looks good to work 
all night, every night. I don't think anyone should have to do that. And you're not going to be at 100% the next day because then you're in my office and you're like a zombie. And they're like, but I was here all night. But that doesn't make it right that you have to be able to put boundaries up and say, you know, you know, I worked on shows where our phones were forwarded 24 hours a day. And if anyone ever got a voicemail, you were in trouble. So like three o'clock in the morning, you answered your phone for, I mean, and this is how I was brought up. It was a very different business in the nineties. Um, and, uh, I'm glad it's changing. And you were congratulated for it. You were, you know, and you had to be superhuman. And that's when all the bad things happen because you're trying to balance it all. My first thing I say at the beginning of every season is you don't get a gold star for, you know, everyone has bad weeks, but if, if, or that you have to work late, or obviously it's TV, but when it's all you do and you force your team to stay there all night because, or you're waiting to see who's gone before you can leave handle your business. I, I like to treat people like adults, you know, and so that you're not getting a badge of honor for ruining your life. So John mentioned that I asked him to have this episode title, talk about change and not stress. And the reason is, and you've let me talk about this on your show. So you know, this, mm-hmm. our brains interpret all change as stress, even the stuff we want, even the baby, the move, the new oh. job, the winning the lottery, because so a little tiny bit of science for everybody who's listening, and I promise it's not too science scary, but our brains have a million functions, but one purpose, and that purpose is to keep us alive, which, and the good news is we're currently alive, so that means all change is suspect. Our brains, our amygdala will dump all these chemicals, whether we're hearing about a new COVID variant or getting the house we put an offer on. It doesn't matter if it is qualitatively good change or obviously bad change, any change. And our brain says like, like getting the job you applied for that you really, really wanted and you get it. And your brain goes, Oh, that's awesome. But could we die? (laughs) And, And even while you're feeling proud or excited or happy, your brain clicks through this, like, okay, but what could we lose? Can I really trust this? Right. Did the email say me? Did they Am I going to be able to do this? Right. Did I, was I right? Do I have enough money for that down payment? Um, and discomfort, even while you're getting through the loss and the distrust, your brain goes, well, but you know, you'll have to park on the opposite side of the street. You'll have to, you know, you'll have more lawn to mow little things. Our brain looks for what will make us unsafe. So all change is stressful. And there are a couple of things that I think leaders get wrong about navigating change. You've had to tell people about big, horrible changes. You've told people about big, amazing opportunities, but one of the things that I think leaders often do is when they announce a change and it's not really well received by everyone and most change isn't, they either think it's a referendum on their leadership, like people don't trust me or they don't know I'm good at my job or they don't see how much I care about this mission or they think it's a referendum on their people's character, like, oh, they're stubborn or they're lazy. Lazy, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) When in truth, it's just a reflex. That loss and distrust and discomfort is just a reflex. And there are ways to move people through it, but it's not about your leadership or their character. Every year we would do big budget cuts. And big budget cuts is always more work, more this. And everyone, you know. Do more with less. This is not good news. You know, this is horrible for everyone, blah, 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 blah. And everyone, I let them complain and I let them do it. And then we move on and they go, okay. And then, you know, but it's like an open dialogue. It's not like this way or this is it. So too bad. You like it or get out. You listen to them. You understand. You you emphasize and and you say, yeah, these are, what you're saying is incredibly valid. And then the next day I let everyone wallow in it for a day. And then the next day it's business and we're going to, and we're going to be able to do it because we're great. We can, 
This, we so would be just asking something that we can't do. You just mentioned three of, of four amazing strategies for helping other people navigate change, especially change that's definitely qualitatively bad, right? You said empathy. <laughs> you let people feel their feelings. You hear them. They're valid. Yeah. You also said you give them a day. So a little bit of processing time. You don't make them immediately change their budget. Like, hop on board. I don't want to hear anything. Right. <laughs> and you said it's an open dialogue. We listen to options. Right. It doesn't change the parameters. We have whatever total amount of money we have. But I'll and what do you guys you. think we can do to make this less Painful. horrible? Like, do you yeah. guys have any ideas you have for helping with the streamline? Please bring them to me you know, so that they're part of it. So when you're thinking about having to announce a change to your people, what are some of the things you do to prepare for that? Not not just to prepare yourself, like I talk the myself into strength. the change. Right, exactly. <laughs> first, I talk myself into the change because I'm the yeah. first thing I'm thinking, like, oh my god, are we going to do this? Yeah. Uh, okay. So, so, I so the first work is on yourself first. Yes. Okay. I process it. I go through it all before I tell all of them so that I am got game face, ready to go. And I've got a plan. Um, Cause you know, it's not like, Oh, what do we, you know, it's like, this is what happened. The sky is falling. Doing it, and this is right. right. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I'm like, this is not great news, but we're going to be okay. So once I process that and I'm like, and I figure out how we're going to be able to do it. And then I can communicate it with them. But I always feel, you know, you feel that tinge of like, Oh, you don't, you know, you know, it's going to be not well received. You know what their reaction is going to be. So you just kind of say it like we're all in this together. And you know, when we will do the best that we can to do what we're at being asked to do. So and you that's really all focus on the stuff you can control, like your tone, your attitude, oh, your approach. You're not trying 100%, to make if them you go, anything. If you go in there like, this is the way it is, then they're just going to rebel and quit. You know, and, and who wants yeah. that? I want a happy group I you know especially in production and you know I always talk about production it, it is so it, it's intense and it becomes like a family so fast because you spend so much time together and it's just a constant very fast paced business and you care about these people you know you do and and, and you don't you know I'm like oh Judy's gonna be mad this one's gonna hate this and this is gonna hurt that you know and so I try to think about all the different things they're gonna say and try to have a solid you know some sort of grain of hope based on what I know they're going to be upset. There's there's the low hanging fruit, the stuff you know you're going to hear. And so you try and prepare yourself oh, 100%. for the, the frequently like... voiced complaints. Patty, the other thing I want to ask you about change, when you have a change coming up for you, you're going to move to a different show, uh, something- I have that, a change coming up right now. <laughs> right. What do you do to prepare yourself for a period of transition like you talked about and when you're pregnant all bets are off so maybe not that particular change because you're yeah, i'll talk about right now i mean the show we just wrapped our 14th and final season um and it's been a blessing but it you know and we've been there i was there for a long time and it's scary and you're like oh this is it you know i, I had my, you stressful. know this is right what am I going to do now? And I had a pity party for myself for two days. I was That's very the empathy sad. piece. You gave I yourself your empathy, so all your feelings. I was like, oh, I love this show. How am I, you know, this is what I, you know, I loved that show. And so it broke my heart. And I'll never forget, it was the second day of my pity party. And I was walking my dog and he went and did something and I fell and he took off and I grabbed and then I fell and I fell on my face and I hit my hands and I hit my knees and I started bleeding. I laid on the floor and I'm crying. I'm like, oh, and it's I just said, too much. I got home and I looked in the mirror and I said, get it together. 
you're a star, you'll be fine. And from that <laughs> moment on, I never turned back and I've been developing shows and I'm getting back to my contacts and just doing what I do because I know that I'm good at it. And it's, um, you know, but it, but I had to give myself, it was like a mourning period. If I just yeah. pretended like it didn't care. I mean, I put my life into that show. It was everything to me. Okay, so, so it was devastating. But now, and now I've turned it into, this is exciting. Now, you know, and now I'm looking to hopefully start my own production company. And you know, that wouldn't have happened. So every time a bad thing happens, the door closes, the show gets canceled. And I'm always like this, it's always for the best. It always is. It always works out better. And you just have to remind yourself, but you have to give yourself some grace and you have to give yourself some love and you have to let yourself be upset for a little bit. You can't be upset for a month, but I, two days. And I was like, that's it. No more pity party and lead by example. Do you want your daughter to see you falling apart because something didn't happen that you like? How, and then how do I turn around to her and say, you know, it's okay. So, so it's okay. Your, I'm going to be fine. Inherent, your inherent resilience. And, you know, I'm so fascinated by resilience because for decades, at least, we thought resilience was just like a character trait. It was like your, your singing voice. You are a good singer right. or you're a bad singer. And that was kind of it. And then they were like, oh, no, you could take voice lessons. And it turns out you could make your voice a little bit better. Well, with resilience, it's not a character trait. It's not fixed like your eye color or, you know, your innate musicality. It turns out that resilience is this thing that everybody has a little or a lot of as little kids, and then circumstances and skills change it over time. And you just talked about a whole bunch of skills. You talked about giving yourself empathy and grace, which is really important, setting some boundaries, saying, I get for these two days, I get to feel whatever I feel, eat whatever ice cream. You didn't say this. This is me. Eat whatever ice cream I want, oh, pet my I dog, ate, I... right? Like be in my comfiest cushions, um, tell my daughter that she needs to take care of me for a little bit, you know, like comfort me or watch a TV show I like. And then you set a boundary, but like that's for two days. You built connections. You said you reached out to your contacts. Building connections is a really important resilient skill. And opening to change and possibility, which I happen to know you're excellent at because you have to improvise all the time in your work. So seeing that there's lots of paths to get to an excellent outcome. You can see how that helps people navigate change more. You're talking about the ability to manage discomfort, to set goals. Those are five of the eight resilience skills. The rest, you're going to oh, recognize too. You're going to recognize the other ones too, finding different options. Right now, you have a goal. You just mentioned starting your own production company. So you're looking at all the different options you could use to get to the mission of whatever, whatever mission you've decided on for your production company, taking action and persevering. Those are the eight skills we all have at least a little of all of those and we're each really good at a couple, right? Really good at a couple. And so as you decide, Hey, in this situation, boy, the thing that I the, the two skills that would be really valuable to me right now are, um, you know, taking action and building connections. So you polish those, a different change that you might be facing. Like when my mom got diagnosed with something terminal, setting goals wasn't really a useful skill for me because the goal I wanted to set, we couldn't set, right? right? But managing discomfort, that was really important during that time. Having conversations with her and taking care of her physically in ways I'd never had to do before, really uncomfortable. So I had to work really hard on managing my discomfort. Not so much in taking action because there weren't too many actions that I could take to change right. the outcome, right. get it more what I wanted. So these eight skills, it's not like these are the ones you should do, or these are the right order for them, or you have to be excellent at this. Resilience, it turns out, is about recognizing, given your personality and the situation you're in, which of these skills would be most useful to you right now? Yeah, what's going to help? What's going to be the most benefit right now? And one of the things I'm really hearing you highlight in this particular story is that 
different ones at different times. So your first thing you did when it, when it first happened is you set some boundaries. I get to do all these things for two days and I'm not going to worry about how anybody else is feeling or what anybody else, I'm not even going to talk to anybody else about this. Yeah. I mourned it like a death. I would just start to start crying. I was like, that's and and it was a real loss and grief is super unpredictable and really hard. Mm -hmm. And it's not so easily defined as, you know, the death of a first degree family member. Grief comes for lots of different losses, but you recruited different skills at different times to get to the goal you want. Have you decided on a mission for your new production company? You don't have to tell me what it, you, it is if you don't want to, but have you decided yeah, on the mission? I think so. yeah, awesome. I think, yeah. And it turns out that that <laughs> mission, being mission-driven, knowing what your purpose is in anything, mm-hmm. whether it's in your family, as a parent, as a business leader, as a creator, knowing what your mission is really makes you more resilient because it becomes your guiding star. That when you hit obstacles or when it doesn't go the way you wanted it to, it gives you something to drive towards. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Could you just talk for a minute about any advice you have for women leaders who feel like the bar's just set differently than it might be for a male colleague? It, it, you know, obviously, it exists. I think that the biggest thing I had to learn is I am a very emotional person. It just is. I'm, I have, I'm very expressive. I'm loud. I'm this. I'm that when I was younger and um, started being, you know, running shows and whatnot, I was looked at more as that girl. Um, <laughs> oh, you know, oh, she's yeah. going to be, oh, she's going to, oh, you know, like I was, I was very, it was all very dramatic and it was my personality. It just is who I was. And I realized really quickly that I'm not going to be able to be a leader and have someone in, let, you know, entrust a $30 million show to me if I am, you know, wearing my heart on my sleeve all day long. And I think as women, we do, we are more communicative. We're not as stoic. I just, there are differences in men and women. And I realized that I can still have all of that energy and whatnot, but always in the back of my head, it's like, don't, don't let them ever say, oh, she's a girl. Like that, because I remember I cried once early on and I heard someone say, oh, that's the girl that cries. And it killed me. I was like, oh, and that's, I was like, that's my new role. Like you can't let them see you cry out of stress. And, I have and, to say, yes. I do believe that's changing. I really hope and believe that emotions are more normative for yeah, no I, matter what I your do. gender, right? Mm-hmm. But I agree with you that there is some pressure on women, this expectation that you have to prove that you're not that's Guided how I felt solely when by I, was, I was being, you know, it was a bunch yeah. of, old, you know, it was a bunch of older men and they were all very rich and fancy and, and whatnot. And they did dismiss me like, yeah, that's just the girl that cries. And it really was like, I never want that again. <laughs> Not I that totally I understand cried, why that would be but I, I, a but I cry a lot. factor. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think the most one thing that um, the best advice I was ever given was know your worth. And it took me a long time to understand that because I always felt that I was lucky to be in the room. You know, I come from Queens, New York. I don't know anyone in the business. I worked, you know, I, I started as an intern and worked my way up and, and I, and I, and I got promoted very young, very fast. You know, I was a producer 23 years old. It was very fast. And, and that's a lot of I humility felt like, to carry around. I felt yeah. like I was like, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe these people are trusting my opinion. Like I had, I had it almost like that imposter syndrome in the beginning, because I was like, when are they going to realize I'm just happy to have this job. I'm not going to ask for more money. I'm not going to ask for anything because I'm just, I can't believe I'm here. And I was talking to one of my mentors, who is one of the, Carla Pennington, who's the executive producer of the Dr. Phil show. And one of the first things she told me all those years ago was, Patty, 
you need to know your worth. You're, you know, and I, and it just, I was like, well, I know that I, she's like, no, 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 no. You're not, you don't know your worth. Like you do deserve this money. You do deserve this. Do you think a man, and she said to me, do you think a man walks in and says, oh, I'm, I'm good. just lucky to be here. <laughs> I'm just happy to be here. You know, I didn't know. I was, you know, as I said, I was very young when I rise up. And and it was such a great thing. And ever since she said it, I felt empowered. And when I do go into contract negotiations, which are always not fun, I have had a hard line now. I know my worth. I know what I bring to the table. I am confident in my abilities. And I'm not going to be lowballed and be made to feel like I'm lucky to be here. And I think that if you're going to be a true leader, you need to know your worth and not and know that you should be exactly where you are. You know, and you don't get promoted to these high jobs out of luck or people just, you know, feeling sorry. Favorite, you know, it's like yeah. it's because you're 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 very good at it. But sometimes it's hard for women to see that, I believe. I really appreciate this. It's like a master class in leadership. I said at the beginning I wanted to ask you a question and I really want to do before we end, how do you decide when you're going to set a boundary and say no to a request, any kind of request? Hey, could we meet for coffee? Can I pick your brain? All the way to here's Another an amazing opportunity. I took a lot right. of learning. I never had yeah. a boundary. Yeah. So when, uh, how do you I, know, I let every, and then I just, you know, to open a possibility and when's the right time to set a boundary and be like, this isn't for me. The first thing is I always was available 24 hours a day. Always. Right. And I would That's tell the that like, if there's an issue, you call me, I'm the, blah, blah, blah. And then once I realized that's not healthy, um, everyone knew that from seven to eight thirty, I'm working out. Don't I don't care what's happening. Don't call me from seven so to eight thirty. So now twenty two and that a half was hours the only, a day. I don't take lunch. I don't take this. You know, I never did anything. But that was for me. And there was no, you know, that was my hard line. And and people respected it. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, I can go to the gym. Oh, I can do. Oh, I can go to a doctor's appointment. Well, I, you know, I was like, lead by example. You always have to show how hard you work, which is true. But I was. I never left my office. I never left my desk. I was always available, and it wasn't. It wasn't doing them good or me good because then they were like, "Oh, I can just call her whenever." Um, where you said one them have to respect my time a little bit, and I needed to respect my time more. Um, going when you know a lot of times you know I have people that want to come on the show, and they call me, and I just know they're not the right fit, and it's always so awkward because it's hard. You know, someone really wants this, and it will really help them, and you don't see the same and you know and it was it was something that i would be like oh can you tell them you know like oh god i hate that <laughs> and i was like you know what i hear no all the time and i'm just gonna say i don't think it's a good fit i'm so sorry here are the three things that maybe you can do to make it a better fit uh you know there was this one woman that wanted to come on as like a weight loss expert and she never she was she she lost weight, but she wasn't a weight loss expert. You know what she did? She went and got became a weight loss expert and came on the show. Oh, nice. <laughs> and she went and got learning and studied and, and figured it out. And then she came back and we were like, oh my goodness, look at you. She did it. So I think not just saying no and 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 blocking and not hiding from saying no, which is something I used to do. It's like, oh God, just tell them in a meeting. I'm like, oh. <laughs> but it's it's not the right thing to do. And it does take courage to say no when people, when you know, they really want something, you're a nice person. You don't want to ruin someone's day, but you know, as a leader, you can't make everyone happy all the time. And the you have to say, no, that? you have to do what's best for the show. You have to do what's best for you. You have to do what's best for the staff. You have to, you know, you have to do what you think is best. And, and, and sometimes it's going to upset people and sometimes it'll motivate them to be better. And the flip side of that, how do you decide when to take a chance on the meeting, the guest, the opportunity? 
something that I, I that was always um, like when I'm hiring people. You know, I would have I'm the executive producer. I have two supervising producers, and they would do the the, the you know the, the first calls and all this and whatnot. And they were always so like oh, I'm going to give them a writing test and I'm going to give them this. And they went to this school and this. And that to me was less impressive. I liked, like there was this one girl, and I'll never forget it. She worked with me for many, many years. And she, were, I, I always look for people that work through college. You know, when everything's handed to you and you never had a job and then you come out of school, like I, you could write a beautiful letter, but you're not, you don't know how to live. You don't know how to, yeah. you don't know how to multitask all the different things in life. So I'll, and this one girl, I just, one of the girls, she came in as a PA and they were like, uh, and she was working at the movie theater, delivering uh, food, in a, like one of those restaurant movie theaters. And I was like, and she was like doing 18 credits and she was doing this, had zero experience. And I was like, you know what? She is a hustler. I winded up being a producer and worked with this for like eight years. And it was one of the best hires I've ever done. And it was taking a chance. And, and the other people being like, oh, well, well. and I'm like, I don't care that if she didn't go to the most prestigious college. This isn't a career that I think you need to be a Rhodes Scholar. You know, you just need to know how to work hard, have common sense, how to communicate and, you know, all of that. So, and, and know how to juggle a lot of things. And when you juggle a lot of things during college, I think that makes you a better employee. I just do. And I, and I, you know, I've been working since I'm 13 years old. Through my lens, this idea of resilience and all the skills that go into it, about saying no, I hear you saying you still got to be true to your mission. You got to see what, you know, whatever you're aiming for, if it doesn't aim there, no matter how nice they seem or how great they oh. might be to their family or whatever, you got to say no. And in the exact same way, even if somebody doesn't yeah. check other people's boxes, if, if you know that it's aiming towards your mission and it will feed what your, your purpose of the project or the group, then you say yes and you give it a try. A hundred percent. And sometimes you take and you do take a risk. And I, you know, but I, I do feel very grateful. And there, you know, a lot of people through the years have said, you gave me a chance where no one else would. And they've gone on to very successful careers. And it really that is my most proud. I mean, I was I could cry right now because it makes me so proud. And it makes me so um so so it, it, it's my proudest thing is to give someone a career when they didn't think they had the chance to have one. That's really cool. And I can see why, because you had that happen. Nobody handed it to you. Well, yeah, I can't. I mean, you I'm got a career the, that I you mean, wanted when you didn't think it could happen. I got an internship at the Ricky Lake show my last semester of college. That's <laughs> was history. And, you know, and they, and the only reason I, you know, it was, and, you know, and it was a hustle. It was hard. And, you know, it depends. Not everyone, just because you don't come from, I feel like you're, you're almost a better worker when you, you have it a little more rough. Yeah, absolutely. My very first job was um, at a blockbuster video, if we want to go back into the old day entertainment. And I put on, <laughs> I had to get them to advance me my paycheck to go get the khaki pants that I was supposed to wear along with their blue collared golf shirt with the logo. Oh, yes. And I was the person at the front door saying, hi, welcome to blockbuster. How can I help you this evening? <laughs> I worked at a bakery. I was like, I lied to them until I was 16 years old. And every year I was 16 again. I was like, oh, I just turned 16. I, like when I started, I could barely see over the counter. And it was, <laughs> you know, I just like to work. I wanted my own money. I wanted a pocketbook. And my mother said no. And I said, well, I'm going to get a job. And I never, never, I've never been unemployed since. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate all these. Some of them are reminders and some of them are just really a new lens to look at problems that I know so many women face in leadership. So this was awesome. And people ask me, why do I do this? And this is exactly why I do this.
And at the top of the show, when you guys, you know, I tried to gracefully get out, but but you wouldn't let me, so I just left. Meaning, you guys have a lot to say, and this is this is exactly why I do the show. And at the top, somebody said something about men and women are different, and we are. And there's not a whole lot of people that be able to get to get to hear this. Um, you know, specifically a lot of men. So I'm so happy. I mean, I'm going over my you know brief notes here. Are you kidding? Talking about eight skills, right? Mm-hmm. Know your worth. Yeah. This was a masterclass for sure. Oh, thank you. Thank well, you. Well, it, it was very fun. Thank you for having yeah. us, Doctor G. You're like, a, like, a, like you're a great interview. I look at you. Yeah, you want to do Thanks. this again? I'm, I'm totally game. I'm totally game. Wonderful. Well, this was wonderful, and um, and I just want to thank Doctor G because she, yep. you know, my daughter had struggled with resilience when she was younger. When I first met Doctor G right. in our, my office, and she was talking about it, she started giving me all the books, and I was like, I read every single one of them, and I implemented all of her plans. She is my guiding light to how to be a mother, and I just want to say she is. When she's like, I'm just a regular doctor. She's not a regular doctor. She is one of the best um, guests I've ever had, and she really says things in such plain speak that everyone can understand and implement her advice. And I really am always been so grateful uh, for all of your help with work and personally as well. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Patty. It's such an honor. Each of you, what's the best way to get for people to get in touch with you? Uh, For me, the easiest way is through my website. It is askdrg.com. And that G is with a G. I mean, it's just a G. It's just a G. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, me you could just direct message me on instagram at patricia chiano (laughs) 